Hello and a very warm welcome to the gardening podcast that's for everyone who enjoys growing their own flowers, fruits and vegetables. I'm Dan. And I'm Julia. And together we're two good gardeners. We're an all-inclusive podcast, so whether your garden is big or small, north or south, sunny or shady, we are here to share our gardening know-how and great ideas that you can try at home. We upload a new episode every fortnight, packed with news, timely tips and the occasional interview with gardeners we admire. Think of this podcast as a bento box of delicious goodies to be consumed with gusto. Now we've whetted your appetite, let's crack on with episode 5 of series 2, sponsored by Alatex, home of the modern Victorian greenhouse, designed in the UK for over 70 years and built worldwide. Hello everyone and welcome to an episode of Two Good Gardeners, which we're devoting to getting you and your garden through the winter and out the other side in one piece. The weather has really taken a turn for the worst since our last episode and even the toughest plants are starting to look a little jaded. With the likelihood of frost ever increasing, now's the time to step on it and protect tender plants from the cold, wet and wind. In just a moment we're going to explain how. But before that, I know I speak for both of us when I say that I'm very excited about the Garden Media Guild Awards this Friday. Two Good Gardeners is nominated for Best Podcast or Radio Broadcast. It's an honour in itself to be placed alongside Sarah Raven and Gardens Illustrated, and we wish all the nominees the very best of luck. Tragically, I can't make the awards ceremony this year, but Julia, you'll be there slumming it at London Savoy. Have you bought a new frock? Can't have you letting the side down. Fear not, Dan, I will not let the side down. And yes, of course, I have splashed out on a new frock. In fact, it's just arrived, so it's very exciting. And it is such a huge honour for us to be shortlisted, isn't it, amongst esteemed gardeners. I will definitely be suffering from imposter syndrome when I'm at the Savoy and actually very nervous. And of course, I'll be missing you at the event, Dan, by my side, because whatever happens, it's a really fun day, isn't it? It's a lovely, lovely occasion with, of course, lots of great people from the world of gardening and horticulture there. So uh, you'll have a great time. You won't miss me at all. <laughs> well, let's see. And, and maybe I'll even have a glass of wine. We'll maybe see about that. <laughs> oh, push the boat out. <laughs> now, Dan, you are certainly not one for sitting around, are you? So what has been keeping you busy over the last two weeks? Well, I've got both feet well and truly in Christmas now. I've already popped up at two Christmas markets. I've shed a tear as the school choir sang Silent Night. They were actually incredibly good. I've wrapped my first gifts and I've taken some decorations down from the loft. But first and foremost, my Waitrose Christmas delivery is booked, which of course is such a first world thing to (laughs) be worried about. At least I can sleep at night knowing my turkey crown will be here on time. I've yet to eat a mince pie or listen to Michael Bublé or write a Christmas card, so there is quite a long way to go yet. A bit later on, I'll share where I'm going to be popping up next, as I've got some really amazing locations on my schedule. How about you, Julia? I know you've been busy too. 
I have. But first and foremost, I have beaten you because I have consumed my first mince pie and very tasty Uh it was too. (laughs) (laughs) And I have listened to a choir singing because at the Country Living Christmas Fair where I was last weekend, it was really festive, as you can imagine. I ran three growing events there on behalf of Alatex, who showcased their first Christmas greenhouse, which had been beautifully styled by Selena Lake. There were scented bulbs and twinkling lights, both a wonderful combination, and I didn't really want to leave. (laughs) No, I can quite imagine. I mean, a greenhouse is my happy place at the best of times. So being in an Alatex Christmas greenhouse must have been quite something. I'd have been in seventh heaven. (laughs) Yes, me too. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. Every episode, we discuss a hot topic, and this time it's all about overwintering your plants. Dan, as most of you will know now, is an expert in this field, and I too have some surprising fruit and veg plants that you can overwinter, but more on that later. Dan, you're up first, so tell us your tips and tricks on how you overwinter your exotics and other things. (laughs) Well, yes, it's my pleasure. This is such a huge topic and probably the one I get the most questions about via my website, blog and social media. I think overwintering is one of those topics that exercises gardeners as much as discussions about the weather, which is hardly surprising given the two are inextricably linked. I'm going to try and break it down to make it really clear and simple for anyone who does want to overwinter plants. But if you want to know more, I have written a blog post on the subject and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Overwinter protection is something that you should consider for any plant that's from somewhere warmer, drier or more sheltered than your garden. So it might apply to annual bedding, tropical plants, Mediterranean plants and even alpines that come from areas where it's colder than the UK but much drier. These plants are vulnerable to damage from cold and wet and buffeting by the wind which may harm or even kill them. Anyone with a garden based on hardy, native plants has a lot less to worry about, but most of us do have at least a handful of plants that one might consider tender or vulnerable. And gardeners are, by their very nature, a thrifty bunch, and a plant lost to winter cold creates an expense and, dare I say, a bit of a dent in one's pride although it can't always be helped. So we are very keen to keep our plants alive over winter. The second thing to say is that winter protection isn't an exact science and success is never guaranteed. Even the most experienced gardeners and growers lose plants when the elements conspire against them. Temperature changes can be sudden and forecasts can change and sometimes we simply don't have the time to give plants the care and attention they need. And then you've got on top of that the plant's physiology, which we don't understand that well really. So knowing exactly what's going to happen to a plant in a certain set of circumstances is really, really tough. Well, I'm interrupting you here because the classic example is last autumn, isn't it? When thousands of dahlias, mine and loads and loads of people all across the country lost all their dahlias because the temperatures just plummeted overnight and none of us had any warning and it was too late to do anything. Yes. And that that is the thing. You know, there's so many different factors involved in overwintering. You know, unless you're in the right place at the right time and you know exactly what's going on, sometimes you just miss the opportunity. But let's 
talk about what you can do. So a plant's tenderness can be affected by a host of different factors. Some plants, for example, are a lot more adaptable to different temperatures than others. Those that come from tropical areas tend to be not very adaptable because they have constant temperatures all the time. Whereas Northern Hemisphere plants from Europe and things tend to be able to cope with all sorts of different conditions. Age is a factor as well. So older, more established plants tend to be a bit hardier than young ones. Not always the case, but quite often. Then there's also acclimatisation. So if you have a plant that's been used to a greenhouse or that's been grown in a warmer region, moving it to a colder place can have an effect on it. Environment is a key thing. So Mediterranean plants like rosemary might survive winter perfectly well in a sheltered sunny courtyard, but they may struggle in an open wet situation where they're a bit more buffeted around. And then weather, as we just said, uh, a cold snap like the beast from the east may just kill plants because they have no time to condition themselves. So often if the weather changes progressively, plants can go with that. But if the weather just snaps into very cold or very hot, that can give them a bit of a shock. So Dan, does it make a difference uh, whether I buy, for example, an olive tree that's been grown in Italy or one that's been raised here in the UK, but it's the same tree. Is there a difference for that? Yes, that's a really great question. And the answer is that it might make a difference. And that's for a couple of reasons. Firstly, some plants that have a wide geographic spread or perhaps come from different heights on a mountainside, for example, develop slight genetic variations to help them adapt to their local conditions. And these are called ecotypes. And studies show that your best chance of success is to source plants from as locally as you can. So it may be that an oak or an olive that's grown from a seed taken from Turkey or Greece might be less hardy in this country than one grown from an acorn or a seed that was collected here in the UK. Not always the case, Mm. but it might be that. And of course, the other reason is a change of growing conditions for an individual plant is likely to cause some shock, as we said before. So if you transport your olive from Sicily to Swindon, it is likely to feel the difference. Well, mind you, I think I would go into shock if I was moved from Italy to Swindon, (laughs) wouldn't you, Dan? Exactly. Not not a move I would recommend. So... (laughs) So let's start with plants we consider annuals, and that's those plants that have no frost or cold tolerance whatsoever. And with these, if you really want to overwinter them, your choices are to perhaps pot a few up uh, now or sooner than now, if you can, bring them into a porch or greenhouse and let them carry on growing. There are a few, like bedding geraniums, that might scrape through the winter outdoors, and it's worth taking a chance on those if you haven't got space for them inside. The best insurance with annuals, really, is to take cuttings of any that you want to keep, or save the seeds, or just simply let nature take its course and replace them the following year. So that's that's your annuals. They're not hardy at all. 
The next are exotic plants, and that is really anything that comes from a slightly warmer or drier climate than the UK. And these are plants that are perennial in habit, but not frost tolerant. And these are the biggest challenge because they tend to be large plants like bananas, gingers, brugmansia, cannas, and some exotic trees like loquats and catalpas, the Indian bean tree, that ideally need to be lifted and moved into a greenhouse or a frost-free place if you live in a colder region. And obviously that's not always practical, which is why many gardeners attempt to wrap them in situ. And I don't particularly like the look of this in the garden, but it can be, for some people, the best way of keeping those larger specimens going through the winter. Important to remember that wrapping with straw, fleece or hessian does not keep the plant warm because once it's become cold, they have no capacity to warm the plant. But it does keep the outer tissue from being in direct contact with the cold or snow or ice or whatever's going on and so there is a degree of insulation that goes on there. So that's your exotic plants, the things that we would consider to be rather sort of jungly and tropical looking. There are hordes of plants then that are on the borderlines of hardiness and that will very much depend on where you live. A completely hardy plant in my garden, for example, is the star jasmine, Trachylosburnum jasminoides, which has become very, very popular over the last few years. A beautiful mm. evergreen climber with scented flowers. And it's completely hardy here, even with the beasts from the east not touched at all. But doubtful that that would be the case, for example, in parts of Scotland. So hardiness here does not mean hardiness everywhere else. Any plant that dies down is the easiest to look after over winter because in most cases you can mulch those plants. The mulch, again, will provide insulation, stop there being any direct contact between the plant and snow or ice, for example, and you can use anything, garden compost, leaf mould, chip bark, mushroom compost, anything that you've got to hand. I tend to use a lot of old compost out of my pots that have had plants in over the summer. I just use that old compost to cover dahlias and things like that. Good idea. So dahlias, chrysanthemums, gingers, peonies, all can get through the winter with a bit of mulch over the top. The only plants you want to avoid mulching are things that like their bulbs and rhizomes to be out of the ground, like bearded irises and nerines. They don't appreciate being covered Perhaps in the very, very coldest of weather, you could do it overnight, but they won't like to be smothered with anything, particularly if it gets wet or soggy. Yeah, they just rot, wouldn't they? But I know about mulching. I do a lot of mulching yeah. here for all those reasons you've said. And, and also because it can feed the soil, depending what you use. And it also keeps weeds at bay, which I love in the spring and the summer. Anything to help cut down my weeding duties. Uh, But as you know, I have got very heavy clay here and I am constantly adding things to the compost. But are there any good tips about what I can do with my heavy clay, Dan? Well, yes, you've just hit on something there, really, because the combination of wet and cold is what's really deadly to many plants, particularly the Mediterranean ones or anything with sort of furry leaves. And the 
best thing you can do is add lots and lots of grit to the soil when you're planting. And that over time will help improve the drainage of your soil and improve the chances of those plants like lavender, cistus and chrysanthemums getting through the winter. But it's a long-term thing. It's not as easy to fix as just putting some mulch on the top. But I think if you mm. add grit every time you're planting or digging or cultivating, you will gradually create a soil that drains a bit better. Of course, I have the opposite problem here where it can tip with rain and the water will just drain away in my chalk straight away and you'll never really see it. So um, that needs lots of compost added to keep the water in. But fortunately, I don't have too many issues with plants rotting off during the winter. Yeah, we're so different, aren't we, with how we garden and what we garden on? We are, but I think that that's the beauty of it, isn't it? We can sort of mm. show both sides to the equation. Now, lots of people don't think of succulents and cacti as being particularly cold tolerant, but of course in their desert homes it does get very cold at night. And alpines are another plant where we think of them as being very well adapted to cold, but often the case is that they are insulated by a thick layer of snow during the winter, so they don't come into contact with rain or moisture really until the spring when they start growing again. And what succulents, cacti and alpines all share is a loathing of cold and wet combined. So if you can bring them into an unheated or cool greenhouse, that's ideal. But the ventilation has to be spot on because if they get into any situation where there's a lot of humidity, they will start to develop mould and some plants will literally just turn into mush very quickly. Mm. So good aeration is really important with these plants. One of the easiest ways to protect vulnerable alpines and succulents is to cover them with panes of glass which could either be um, propped up on some piles of bricks or you can get steel supports that will hold the pane of glass in place and that just prevents rain falling directly on them but it lets the air flow underneath so definitely don't use a cloche because that's going to create humidity inside which they will hate but do use something that the air can flow through. The main thing is that they want to be dry and then they can cope with being dry and cold in many cases. But obviously mm. there are thousands of different cacti and succulents. So all of them like something a little bit different. Then you come on to what I'm calling sort of forest plants. And these are plants like ferns, tree ferns, rhododendrons, camellias and scheffleras, which are very popular foliage plants at the moment. And these are hardy plants. They tend to come from coldish places, coolish places, but they are always sheltered from the brunt of gales and cold winds because they are on the forest floor and they've got trees around them protecting them. So they're not very good when they get into cold, windy situations or subject to heavy snow falling on them because often they're not adapted to be particularly strong because they don't have to cope with that in their natural environment. So these sorts of plants need protection from gales and snow and that can involve propping up vulnerable branches. So often if you go to a National Trust property you'll see rhododendrons with 
these big sort of bits of scaffolding around them to stop them basically collapsing under the weight of snow. And sometimes wrapping in fleece will also help diffuse the worst of the wind. So if you've got a beautiful camellia or something in a very exposed spot, that, that might well help. Some of the most vulnerable plants from winter damage are the columnar evergreens like Italian cypresses, which are beautiful pencil thin trees, Irish yews, which are slightly fatter but still column shape. And those suffer very badly if snow falls on top of them because it splits the pencil, the neat sort of column shape Mm. apart and it can be very difficult to get them back together and they can be sort of damaged permanently so you can bind those I've seen them bound with string with wire hoops I dare say you could use some fleece as well but it's just very important to keep them together during the worst weather because once they've once damage has happened to them you're really not going to get them back again so that in a nutshell, I, I hope that's helped people a little bit. Those are the main sort of categories of plants and how you'd want to overwinter them. I suppose I have to stress that every plant is different and there's no right or wrong. So the main thing is to have a go and at least if the worst happens, you can say to yourself, I tried. <laughs> so I'm going to stop there and hand over to you, Julia, because I know that you have some specific tips on overwintering herbs, fruit and vegetables. What should we be doing to keep our food plants healthy this winter? Well, yes, I do have a few and there are some tips and trickery to do, um, but that they were great tips, Dan. Thank you. And yeah, you're right. You know, you can't always battle everything, but it's much better that you've tried, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So yeah. there are a fair few tender edible plants that can be overwintered successfully with relatively low effort, such as chilies, ginger, lemongrass, pineapple plants and citrus, some of the citrus, all have slightly different requirements apart from they all like a temperate climate, so not too warm and certainly not freezing. Annual herbs such as basil cannot be overwintered. You can try to extend their life and bring little pots inside to sit on a warm window ledge with some cuttings you've made in the autumn. The same with mint. I am growing a perennial basil. It's called African blue, which can only be managed by taking cuttings. This is actually easy to do because they root from the stem in a glass of water. Once rooted, I pot them up and bring them onto the kitchen windowsill for the colder months. Lemongrass is another. Once the larger stems are harvested, you can divide up the clump and pot smaller clumps into fresher compost. These can be wrapped in fleece or brought into a more protected area. They remain dormant and they do look dead for most of the winter, but don't give up on them. A gardener's patience is required and usually they show signs of growth in very late spring or early summer. And pineapples. Yes, I am growing pineapples, or at least I'm trying to. I've raised them from planting the green tops last year. It's a slow project, but hopefully worth it. And they will need to be brought into the house now or a heated greenhouse or conservatory to keep them alive. I will be watering them them sparingly, but I would imagine they should still survive. And then next summer, I hopefully will have little tiny pineapples appearing out of the middle. Um, Ginger. So ginger, the edible variety, the ones that I grow, not the exotics that Dan grows. 
I have just harvested my ginger planted in March, which is fantastic. But if you wish to keep it going, my advice is cut off the rhizomes that you need and leave a piece in situ with leaves attached. Most of the leaves have turned yellow by now, but there are some younger shoots which are still green. So leave those in place. Top up with some more fresh compost and bring into the house a warm room, heated conservatory, or turn the heating on if you have it in the greenhouse. And amazingly, the ginger plants will survive and then they'll just grow fatter and bigger and better next year with more ginger to harvest. I think this is a very different way to the way that you treat your ornamental gingers, Dan, isn't it? Well, it depends with gingers where they come from. So the ones that come from slightly cooler areas do tend to die back naturally and the more tropical ones don't. But I definitely think you're culinary ginger is going to be very happy sort of overwintering in a bathroom or something like that where it's warm and humid over winter yeah no well last year I overwintered one in the in the kitchen so that was perfect and then yeah. moving on to citrus so the lemons limes and oranges are the hardier of the citrus they can be wrapped in fleece and moved to a sheltered spot outside if you can often they're in quite heavy pots I moved my lemon tree which is relatively small into the greenhouse last week and it can withstand the cold but it can't stand the frost or snow so you would need to change your feeding to a winter citrus feed and water very sparingly but it should be successful and if you're lucky it'll flower while inside and you can benefit from one of my favorite scents at the same time And a lot of people think that citrus has to be kept very warm all year, but this is a myth. And actually, as long as it's not freezing, lemons certainly will survive. Winter is a great time, I think, to eradicate most pests lingering on the citrus naturally. More tender varieties will need more warmth, but lemons are pretty hardy. And lastly, chilies. Chilies too will survive a winter. So you need to cut back all the foliage, harvest any lingering chilies left and leave one short stem. Repot it, add fresh compost and bring the pot indoors or to somewhere that's warmer like a warm conservatory and again water infrequently because chilies are actually perennials. So this gives the plant a chance to reset just like herbaceous perennials outside. Then come next spring, you will start to see new green growth. And this is the sign to step up the watering and feeding. And as spring warms up, your plant will have such a great root system in place that it will actually fruit much earlier. So to sum up, there are a number of reliable measures to success in overwintering. But be mindful that it's not guaranteed, especially when mitigating circumstances come into play namely our British weather. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's some great tips there. And definitely, I will try overwintering some chilies, I think, because uh, we've got some good varieties this year. Yeah, good. Well, report back on that, Dan. Right. It's now time for you to tell us about your chosen product of the episode. I wonder, are you still on the Christmas theme this time? (laughs) Well, yes, I've picked up on a new shopping habit this year and one that I rather approve of. It's buying (laughs) packets of seeds to include in your Christmas cards. How lovely is that? Last Mm. week, when I was at Hever Castle, one lady picked up 20 packets of my piccolo seeds and another customer said, what are you going to do with those? And she said, I'm going to put them in all of my Christmas cards. And then before I knew it, everyone had caught on and I'd almost sold out of seeds. 
so Brilliant. I think it's a rather lovely idea, especially if you're not going to see somebody over the Christmas period. It's just a lovely little thing. I think seeds bring such sort of hope and joy, don't they, at this time of year when everything is sort of dying and collapsing in on itself and you kind of get a packet of seeds and you think, yes, it's not long till I can begin again. And these packets of seeds, they're completely plastic free. They only weigh about eight grams, so they're not going to tip you over the edge in terms of postage, and they very easily fit inside the average Christmas card. So I just think it's a really charming idea. Have you ever sent seeds in a Christmas card, Julia? Yes, of course I have. Seeds go back and forth here in the post between myself and a few special gardening friends. And to be honest, we don't just need Christmas as an excuse to send each other (laughs) seeds. Sometimes they're bought and often they're home saved seeds. But but I'm interested to know which seeds are people choosing from you? Are they all going for a, a, the same theme? Because often things go in fashion, don't they? So what are you what are you selling out of? Well, there are a few favourites. There's a poppy called Falling in Love, which everyone seems to uh, be after at the moment, which is a lovely mixture of sort of pinks and reds and pastels. Forget Me Nots, which I think I kind of get that. That's a rather nice thing to send someone. Cornflowers which are just lovely, simple flowers. And I've grown lots of them this year, so I hope they're going to be great in the spring. Cosmos, of course, and giant Italian parsley, which I think is getting talked about Mm. quite a lot at the moment. But it's a really great herb. You can use it sort of as celery or as parsley. So those are the best sellers at the moment. But I've got so excited that I've made some last minute additions to my range, including Mrs. Burns Lemon Basil, Red Rubin Basil, Cape Gooseberries and Munstead Blue Lavender. They're all edibles, so I'm hoping you're going to approve. (laughs) I approve wholeheartedly of all your new additions and have grown all bar the Lemon Basil. Hint, hint, hint for when you write my Christmas card down. (laughs) (laughs) Noted, uh, noted. Uh, Let's hope I get round to writing my Christmas cards because I don't think I did last year. Now, it's time for (laughs) Julia to share her project of the week. You never fail to inspire me with your thrifty tips and crafty ideas, so don't be letting me down this time. I'll try not to. I think it's a good one. (laughs) My project is titled Never Buy Garlic Again. That is, if you grew garlic this year, you will know what I'm talking about. And all you need to do is divide up one of your stored garlic heads from last season and start to plant them outside. So it was a good thing to talk about this time because autumn is the very best time to plant garlic. You can go up as far as December to plant it. So it's a big window and that's for a harvest next summer. You don't even need a garden to grow it. It will grow very happily in a container outside your back door, even on a window ledge. And in the Little Growers Cookbook, I described how you can grow garlic in an old Wellington book. I'm not sure if any of you have noticed that any old garlic cloves hanging around the kitchen or the bottom of the fridge often start to sprout a bit like the potatoes do. Well, that just shows you how easy it is to actually grow garlic. If you're feeling lazy, you could always pick up a head of garlic next time at the supermarket. I would say make sure it's organic and divide the cloves up and plant them. 
it will still work, but just be mindful. You have no idea really where that head of garlic is from, and it could potentially be harboring diseases, which could then go and contaminate your soil. So if you are going to try it, it's possibly better to try this in a container, and that way no diseases will spread to the rest of the garden and destroy any of your other crops. There are two types of garlic. So there's one called hard neck and there's one called soft neck. And hard neck has a strong flavour and produces large cloves, but not that many of them. And soft neck garlic has smaller heads with many more cloves. And this one stores a bit longer, so for up to a year. So often people go for the soft neck garlic. You need to have a warm, sunny position with well-drained soil for your garlic next spring and summer that is obviously not now and it does help to add a fresh layer of compost on top before you pop them in the ground you just use a dibber you make holes about two inches deep six inches apart and plonk each clove you've divided up a head and you plonk each clove in the hole with the tip facing upwards that's important and if you're planting lots of rows because you want loads of garlic allow about a foot between each row If you're on heavy clay like me and it's really wet, which obviously it is here at the moment in Sussex, my advice is to plant in pots in a greenhouse or a cold frame and just keep them holding back and then plant them out next spring because garlic does have a tendency to rot if it sits in wet, sodden soil. Garlic will grow very slowly and steadily over the next few months anyway in the winter and then it grows slowly. Well, it takes about eight months to mature. So that's why it's best planted in the autumn. And the cloves need low temperatures to push them into a really good bulb development. So it's really good to make sure for the temperatures to be dropped to be zero degrees for them to actually start producing more bulbs. Um, Other than that, there's not much else to do apart from you've got to keep the area weed free and just to water it in dry spells. I can't actually believe I'm going to have a dry spell, but anyway, to water (laughs) it in dry spells. And then once the leaves start to turn yellow next summer, that's an indication that your garlic is ready to harvest and you can pull it up. If, however, you see any little flowering stems appear before that happens, you need to snip them off as soon as you can. Uh, You definitely don't want your garlic to flower before it's matured because it will ruin your harvest. And then pull them up on a nice day. Uh, Leave to dry in the soil or somewhere rain-free, greenhouse or somewhere like that or shed. And this allows the heads to cure. It's drying and curing, which takes between two to four weeks. And it means that when you store them, they will all remain ready for use rather than going slightly mouldy and soft. I think you've noticed, I'm sure most people have thought they've dried their garlic and sometimes there is usually a soft one and it can actually ruin the whole lot. But the thing at the end is always remember to try and save one head of garlic from your previous season because those are the cloves you're going to use that season and then at the end of every season you just save another one which is great. Talking of varieties, my favourites are elephant garlic, which is either neither hard neck or soft neck, but it's a brilliant garlic to grow. They're not massively huge with the name elephant. They're meant to be big. I don't get huge ones here, but they are really good. And for my clay soil, it works really well. Solar white uh, is a good one for planting now. You could do it autumn or spring. That's been specifically bred for our UK climate and is really reliable. Germador is a beautiful striped purple one. Again, it's a soft neck, so you can plant that now. And then Christo is also a really lovely one and reliable and can be planted summer or winter. Mm. 
Lovely selection of varieties there. I have to say, I don't have much success with garlic here. I don't think we've tried very hard, if I'm honest, but we don't have huge success. I'm interested um, that you're talking about keeping uh, your garlic and replanting it from one year to the next, whereas things like potatoes, that often the recommendation is that you should buy new seed potatoes. Does it does it make a difference if you if you plant from supermarket or kept bulbs? Do they come out just well, the same? They do come out the same because you know, kind of know the variety that you're planting again. But the supermarket, you do need to be mindful because you, a you probably won't know the variety, and b you don't actually know mm. where it's come from. But it is. The thing about the supermarket garlic, it's quite a fun thing to try and do. And it's particularly good with children, actually. So if you plant them in containers, I think that's a really good thing to do. And it's not expensive. It's it's a good link to make, isn't it, really, between where your food is coming from and and how it actually grows. And I've heard that you can eat the flowers. You were talking about cutting them off if they appear. But I've heard that you can eat the young flower stems as well. Yes. So have you heard the term scrapes? I'm sure you have. But scrapes is basically the immature flowering stems and they are indeed edible and they're delicious, roasted, steamed or popped on the barbecue. You can harvest a few of the green leaves as well of the garlic while it's growing if you want to, which also can add flavour to pastas and soups and salads. So, yeah, so it's good to have a kind of, you know, I quite like hardworking veg, don't I, where you can eat all sorts of things. Just don't cut off all the green leaves (laughs) because the garlic won't grow. But one rule of thumb to be adhered to is never plant garlic in the same spot year on year. You need to um, stick to good crop rotation and it just prevents a buildup of rust or any other fungal diseases that could occur in the soil when you've grown the same crop there. And the same goes for alliums, which are onions and leeks. So never put your garlic, onions and leeks in the same spot. Always move them on every year. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, I think that's probably what puts me off because we suffer very badly from rust here in Broadstairs. It seems to find everything and blight it. So that's probably why we don't grow as many onions and leeks and things as we could. But brilliant tips there and obviously very timely. So get out and get your garlic in the ground now. There is an old wives' tale that um, if you plant your garlic on the shortest day, then it's ready to harvest on the longest day. Obviously, weather dependent, ah, but that's quite right. a good rule of thumb. <laughs> <laughs> December the 21st, anyway. here I come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something to do on the bleakest day. Anyway, before we go, we like to share what we'll be up to between now and the next episode. And I know where to find you on the 1st of December, Dan, because I am working with you. But what else are you up to before then? Well, if I can survive the next month, I can survive anything. (laughs) There are fewer than 40 days until Christmas and I have 14 events left before I can curl up on that sofa with a glass of Madeira. And as this episode goes out, I'll be at the Midwinter Fair at Paddock Wood near Tunbridge, which ends on Saturday the 18th of November. And then I'm off to West Sussex and the Weald and Downland Museum, where they film the repair shop for their Advent extravaganza with a little stop off on the way. More on that in a minute. And that's on the 25th and 26th of November. It's 
been so popular over the years that you have to book tickets in advance. So if you're listening to this and thinking that you'd like to pop along, make sure you buy a ticket because you can't just come in on the door. Well, I must say, Dan, I am really looking forward to playing shop with you on the 1st of December. But Alatex coming up have an open morning on the 18th of November, 9 until 1, at their headquarters, Torbury Farm near Petersfield. Then they will be at the next Country Living Christmas Fair in Harrogate on the 30th of November to the 3rd of December. And then if you're not already feeling in the festive move, they are also offering a Christmas willow wreath making workshop back at their HQ near Petersfield with Wildstone Floral on the 6th of December in the afternoon. All tickets can be booked on their website for those events. And we'll put a link on our show notes, won't we, so that people can go and find all of those events, Julia's, mine and Alatex's, and hopefully we'll see you at one or other of them. We're actually going to be recording a special episode of Two Good Gardeners at Alatex on November the 24th, and I'm really looking forward to that actually to seeing you in the flesh rather than on a computer screen, Julia. (laughs) Yes, I'm looking forward to it too, because also, Dan, you will love Alatex headquarters because there are a fair number of beautiful greenhouses and we will be sitting in one (laughs) and making our special recording. So we're we're turning into roving two good gardeners, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) We are. I shall be ogling those greenhouses and wishing that uh, I'd won the lottery, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we really hope you've enjoyed this episode devoted to overwintering and all things wintry. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with that special episode recorded at Alatex and news of how two good gardeners did at the Garden Media Guild Awards. Fingers crossed. It just remains for me to say goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. You've been listening to the Two Good Gardeners podcast with Dan Cooper and Julia Parker. Sponsored by Alatex, home of the modern Victorian greenhouse, designed in the UK for over 70 years and built worldwide. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then why not click follow on your favourite podcast platform so you don't miss out. Leaving a rating or writing a review will help us to reach other gardening enthusiasts like you. We'll return here with a freshly prepared smorgasbord of delights in a fortnight. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at DanCooperGarden, at Parkers underscore Patch, and at Two Good Gardeners, or visit our websites. You'll find the addresses in the show notes. If you've got questions for either of us, you can email them to hello at DanCooperGarden.com. Until the next time, happy gardening.